As you, if you were here last week, you remember we started a new series and uh, Jeff preached on John Mark, the series about people who were near the cross that maybe we haven't thought about too much. And today we have someone that was very near the cross throughout the whole thing. Her name was Mary Magdalene. And I'm going to read from John 20. Um, the whole chapter is sort of about this, but on the first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, uh, Mary went over to care for the body, and she found what? Empty tomb. So she went to tell the disciples. Somebody took them, something going on. They didn't, they didn't believe her. So then she went back there, and uh, she had an encounter uh, with the angels and then with Jesus himself. But let's, I'll pick up in, in uh, chapter 20 of John's Gospel, and uh, after Mary had told the disciples, and they looked and went back. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and another at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried aloud in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When I was uh, taking a pastoral care course a few years ago, they asked me to write my own obituary and make it a lengthy one, not two or three lines. And uh, the reason they asked the class to do that is they were uh, trying to get us comfortable with the fact of death and our own death so that we would be more effective with the people we were involved with. And uh, so I looked at around at a lot of the obituaries and people said nice, wonderful, impressive things about the deceased. So I wrote my own obituary, but I didn't write uh, some of the details of my life that I wasn't really uh, so uh, to reflect on my sterling silver character, I didn't write anything to reflect on it bad. It sounded pretty good. But unlike what I did, the writers uh, of the Bible didn't do that. They really took the, the way the characters were, and they didn't try to clean up the lives of God's people, but they wrote about them just as they were. They wrote about very flawed people who serve God in very powerful ways. If we look at some of the backgrounds of some of these people in Jesus' lineage, we can be a little bit surprised. For example, God created uh, Adam 
and he established, uh, he gave Adam Eve, and they lived in this perfect little garden, and you know what happened. Then they had a family, but the very first family God ever created, there was a murder. Cain killed Abel. Uh, so right away we see what happened, and then we see Moses that uh, was called by God to, he said, Moses, I want you to lead the Hebrew people into the promised land out of Egypt. Moses says, not me, I stutter, I can't even speak. I'm a terrible speaker, you're gonna have to get somebody else. And God, uh, he argued with God about God's call on his life, and finally God gave in to him and said, okay, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. Well, if you read about Aaron later on, you, he gave Moses a lot of trouble. Uh, and then uh, if we look further in the in New Testament, we see Rahab. We see she was a harlot. And uh, we see Ruth, a Moabite. And the Moabites wouldn't let the children of Israel even pass through their land when they were on the way to the Promised Land. They had to go way around because they hated the people of Israel. So the people of Israel didn't like the Moabites either. But Ruth was a Moabite, and you, we know the story of Ruth and how powerful she became. And we look at uh, her, and uh, we find that uh, both Rahab and Ruth are listed in Matthew in Jesus' lineage. He was a direct descendant of them. And then we have Jonah, good old Jonah. We know that story. Jonah uh, didn't like the Nineveh. Uh, he did not like the Ninevites. And God said, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel there. Jonah says, no, I don't want to do that. don't want to do that. God said, go. I have a message for the Ninevites. Oh, no, no, no. So he took off and thought he could run away from God, and we know what happened. He ran in the opposite direction, got on a ship, swallowed by a big fish, was thrown up. He stood there, I guess, dripping with seaweeds all over him out of his mouth. And he's, okay, God, that's what you want. I'll do it. So he went to Nineveh, and God used him in a powerful way in spite of his attitude, and the whole nation came to believe in God, the true God, and so you think he would be rejoicing. What was he doing? Sitting under a broom tree, pouting. These are God's people, <laughs> and I imagine if we went around the room here, we might find some interesting stories right here. And, uh, but the Bible is filled with unusual and interesting people with very strange stories. And I'd like to talk about one of these very unusual people today. Her name, as I said, is Mary Magdalene. And she's mentioned 14 times in the Gospels. And that's more than any of the disciples except any other of the followers of Jesus except Peter, James, and John. And Mary Magdalene has excited the interest of mo more poets, artists, musicians than any other woman in the Bible. And she has a prominent place in more biblical novel novels than any other woman in the Bible. But there are some problems with getting the true story about her uh, because we don't really know very much about her from the Bible. We know enough that she was a follower of Christ and devoted and loved him and followed him all the way. But we don't know everything about her. But in researching tradition and historians and maybe a creative imagination, 
uh, we found out a lot of things about her. Well, the Catholic Church has established Magdalene houses all over the world for a fallen women, so they believe she was a prostitute. The concise Oxford Dictionary defines the word Magdalene as a reformed prostitute. Uh, what is very factual that we can get from scripture and know that is true, she had a powerful love and loyalty to Jesus Christ. Dr. Luke in Luke 8, 2 writes of those who followed Jesus in his ministry. After referring to the 12 disciples, he writes this, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So she, along with other women, had been healed, and they followed Christ with a deep devotion because uh, his healing power had given them a new identity, a new life, a life of freedom. And we also find out from Scripture that they supported Jesus financially with their resources. And um, so... Uh, uh, there, are, there are many women in the scripture named Mary, which makes it a little confusing about which one is Mary Magdalene. But she's often thought to be the one who anointed Jesus' feet with oil and wiped him with her hair. And I didn't know this, but this is amazing. It really touched me that some scholars believe the perfume that she poured on Jesus' feet was the oil that prostitutes used to make themselves more desirable. And, you know, of course, the disciples said, that's expensive, that's a waste of money, but Jesus loved it. If this is true, she symbolically poured her sin on Jesus' feet, and he saw it as something beautiful and loving. Pope Gregory in the early scriptures of the early centuries of the Catholic Church, thought this woman was definitely Mary Magdalene. But whatever profession, whoever she was, we know that Jesus never avoided women like Mary Magdalene. If we remember another very famous woman, the woman at the well, that Jesus asked for a drink, and after a conversation with her, she revealed she had had five husbands and was living with a man she wasn't married to, and Jesus revealed himself to her. She believed it, and she became a great evangelist. And um, because gratitude was the mark of these women who were looked down on in society. And this one became a great female evangelist for Jesus. And so we're the same. Maybe we're not like Mary Magdalene, like this woman at the well, but when we really receive his grace, his forgiveness. Gratitude fills our hearts. And the greatest miracle in the whole world is a life that's changed by Jesus Christ. We do not know, as I said, all the facts about her life, but we know the most important thing, and that's in scriptures, her love, her devotion, her faithfulness to Jesus. She followed him all the way to the cross, she never turned back. We know the disciples and most fled. They ran. They were scared of the Romans. But she watched Jesus wince and cry out when they nail his hands to the cross. She heard him cry out, I thirst. She watched his body slump in death as he breathed his last breath. 
and she watched Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take his body, wrap it in spices, and carry it to the garden tomb. Others feared the Romans and fled. She stayed with her Lord. Fear couldn't keep her away from the one she loved and had given her new life. So this morning, we want to look at some of the messages from her life and let it challenge and encourage each of us in our journey with Christ. One of her messages is however big your sin is, not too big for Jesus. We all look back and regret things and we would have done it a different way or we feel guilty about things. Sometimes the guilt is all consuming and we carry it and it impacts our relationships and our life and our just our mental state. And, but this story, her life challenges hers. It doesn't matter what your sin is. Pour it out on Jesus' feet. It can be very evil, but he will turn it into something beautiful, a beautiful offering, because that's why he died, and that's what he wants us to do. And he, as she poured that perfume on his feet, uh, his love and, and peace flows into us, and who, and the truth that he spoke about her is true for each of us. Whoever is forgiven much loves much. And owning our sins and confessing them is not fun, and most of us avoid it as much as we can. But this deep love for Jesus comes out of this if we really do come to him with our failures and let him forgive us and give us peace. And this was Mary Magdalene, and she was so grateful. Not, she was loyal, not only to the end, but beyond the end. She thought he was dead and gone, and she was still being loyal to him. And she went to the tomb to care for him, expressing her love in the only way that was left, and that was to bring spices to the body. You know, women had few rights in the day of Jesus, but he used this woman to elevate all women. No woman ever became so famous so fast as Mary Magdalene because of this early morning act of devotion. Because of her, the first word spoken by the risen Christ was to a woman after his resurrection. She was the first witness to the resurrection, a woman, not one of his disciples. And this is more remarkable than it might appear to us because in Jesus' day, a woman was not even a fit witness in a court of law. She was an unreliable witness. She was considered unreliable. She couldn't give testimony that would be believed. So it's amazing that Jesus gave her the message to give out and to be the first witness to the greatest news the world has ever received. He didn't say, Mary, go over and get Peter and John. I have something I want them to tell. He gave her the foundation of the Christian ministry to deliver. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he's going to be ascended and reign with the Lord forever. And love enabled her to see the angels. Peter and John didn't observe them. She was determined to care for the Lord's body with spices. But when she got there, the tomb was open and he was gone. So she ran to tell the disciples, but as I said, they didn't believe her. She returned and she stood just crying in front of the tomb. 
And she said to the two angels, I don't know what to do. They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they put him. She thought he was still dead, but they had taken him away. For two years, she had followed him, supported him, loved him, devoted her life to him. And now, what happened? She was bewildered, weeping, heartbroken. And then in her grief, she mistook Jesus for the gardener and said, Sir, if you've carried him away, let me know where you put him. Then at that moment, Jesus, Mary, and she knew who he was. And she threw her arms around him and embraced him like she had never embraced him before. And, you know, her love kept her near that tomb where the doubts and fears of others scattered them, and they didn't see that miracle as soon as she did. And she was the first to hear the risen Lord speak her name. And then when she threw her arms around him and just started holding on to him, he gave her another precious truth for her and for us. And at first, I didn't like when I read it. I thought, Jesus, he said, don't hold on to me. Don't detain me. Don't restrain me. I haven't gone to the Father yet. Jesus, this woman loves you. She's hugging you, welcoming you from the grave, and you're saying, back off. But I didn't get it. But later, I understood it. It's sure it was still understandable to me that Jesus wanted to hug her Lord. And she was thinking, I've lost this cherished relationship, the most important thing in my life. And now I thought I'd never see him again, and here he is. And so I'm going to hold him. And he was saying, don't hold on to me because I'm going to go away. I'm going to ascend to the, my father. And when I do, I'll come to you. I'll be with you in a new way. We're not going to have the same way we had our relationship on earth because I'm resurrected, and it's different now. And I'll, but I will come to you in a new way, and I'll never leave you. Uh, I won't be in your arms anymore, but I'll be in your heart always. And I will be able to give you more of me than you ever had on earth. Here is the gist of what I think he was saying. Mary, I can understand why you don't want to lose me, if you, but if you can really embrace what I'm trying to say to you, you'll realize after I ascend to the Father, you'll have me all time and forever. The way I was on earth, you had me when I was physically present, but if I was somewhere else, you didn't have me, or if you were somewhere else, you didn't have me. But you could lose me that way. But somebody could take you to another place, even put you in a dungeon. I'll be right there with you as long as you live, and then I'll bring you home. Because you'll always have a new intimacy. Nothing at all will ever be able to take you away from me. St. Augustine says it this way. You ascended before our eyes, and we turned back grieving, only to find you in our hearts. He was saying, let go of my hand, for I can give you something better than my hand in your hand. I can put my heart in your heart, and you will grow because my truth will be in you. You know, this is 
a message for us as well. Before Jesus ascended, um, he could not be everywhere and everyone at once, but now he can. And sometimes we, like Mary, want to keep Jesus just as he was when we invited him to our hearts as our Lord and Savior. Well, we have peace with God, we're forgiven, we know we're going to heaven, that's good enough. When he has so much more for us through his Holy Spirit that, like Mary, if we'll receive it, he'll change our hearts and our lives and we'll see greater things than we've ever seen before. And we will keep seeing greater things because he's resurrected and he's reigning and he wants to use each of us. We can be little Christ and do his ministry through obedience and understanding his love and purpose in our lives. And, and so the resurrection, as we're coming up to it in Lenten season, think about this. Jesus Christ lives in your heart. You may not hear his voice audibly. He's not a physical presence, but he wants to speak to you in your heart and change your heart and direct you and trust that and keep asking him and, and you will find in, in our little obedience we learn to recognize his promptings and do his will and it's such a, a wonderful thing to know he's with you especially when things aren't going well in our lives. And so as we encounter the, the living Christ, we can experience, like Mary, the reality of the resurrection in our lives and his presence, because he will never leave us nor forsake us. He'll be there for us on this earth, and he will be there as we make our journey with him to our eternal home. When you die, what will your obituary say? Will it reflect your love, your service, your obedience, your relationship with Christ? Look at Mary's life. It was filled with love and gratitude to her Lord Jesus Christ, and that pleased him. May it be so with yours, and may it be so with mine, that we can know his presence and be grateful his, and obey him and know his love. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you want to increasingly reveal yourself to us. There's no end to what you can do with human beings. Most of us haven't lived nearly the lives of some of the characters in the Bible, and we see the power of just surrendering a life to you. And God, help us to just continually seek you, listen to your voice, seek your way and your word and trust your spirit to guide us throughout our life. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.